0: Everybody, welcome to Exponential Wisdom. This is Peter Diamandis. I'm here with my friend, my mentor, my coach, Dan Sullivan. Dan, a pleasure, pal.
1: Peter, great excitement this week. And it took me back to the 50s and 60s with the SpaceX launch, the the big rocket. And yeah, I remember how everybody was just very fascinated. All the kids that I grew up with, we were all fascinated about First of all, the early rocket planes, but especially when they got into the Mercury and the Apollo stage, and people were just fascinated with space again. And it hasn't happened really since the, maybe a little bit with the space station, but not that much. But rockets have their own excitement when you come up with a new rocket, especially this rocket, which does all sorts of things that no rocket's done before.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a historic week with the launch of Falcon Heavy And more than just the launch of Falcon Heavy, it was the audacity of landing the two side boosters at the Kennedy Space Center simultaneously. And then the audacity, the bravado, the insanity of launching a uh, (laughs) cherry red Tesla Roadster on a trajectory towards Mars, ultimately overshooting Mars and heading towards the asteroid belt near and dear to my heart. But, I mean, it was crazy. I was texting with Elon afterwards and just saying thank you for that. But that effectively, this is, for me, a nail in the coffin of the traditional aerospace industry because he is so far ahead of anybody else. I mean, just as an example, we shut down the shuttle, which was the U.S. launch capacity. You know, NASA ended up having a procurement for capability And the Falcon Dragon was the potential for replacing the ability for astronauts to get to the space station. But there was also a program being developed called the SLS launch capacity, which was a very large booster for getting people to the moon, getting humans to the moon, or potentially to Mars. And it's interesting because the SLS launch system, which is sort of the government BMF, very expensive, bloated, Can I add a few more adjectives there. System is like $500 million per launch, a half a billion dollars launch. And the Falcon Heavy, which just launched, is going to be on the order of $90 million per launch. And by the way, the Falcon Heavy now has been demonstrated and it works. So the reason why we don't shut down the SLS and save the U.S. taxpayer billions of dollars, well, I think that's called the industrial military complex. But it was awesome.
1: <laughs> well, and it's just... Sheer bureaucratic momentum. You know, yeah. inertia. Inertia yeah. being that something in motion is not going to be stopped in motion. But you're deep into this since your conscious first steps. A spaceship. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Space you're stuff. you're into this. So if I lay this out as a strategy circle for all the coach people who you know are listening in, and then others, but there's a particular thinking process that we do in strategic coach, which is called the strategy circle, and you go out and you put the results column. You know, on this date, we will do this and this and this and this and this. What do you think the next step of the use of the Falcon is? Besides demonstrating the capability, what is the payoff, the envisioned payoff now of using this technology to achieve something big in space?
0: So, There's a number of things in Elon's strategy circle, so to speak. So I knew Elon exactly when he was starting SpaceX. This is circa 2001. He had just sold PayPal to eBay, and he had been passionate about space. And one of the things I take tremendous comfort in is that both Elon and Jeff Bezos, and I've known Jeff since college are extraordinarily successful, wealthy, and both committed to spending their fortunes to opening up space. So as a space cadet, that makes me feel very comfortable that these two incredibly wealthy, intelligent, driven individuals are going to, if I don't do it, they're going to do it for sure. Or I should say I can relax and let them do it perhaps. But Elon wanted to get humanity off the planet. He wanted to create the human race as a multiplanetary species. And his early days in 2000, 2000. One, two thousand and two, he was looking at putting a mouse in orbit around Mars. I mean, how far he's come mm-hmm. or putting a greenhouse on the Martian surface and doing it privately as a means to embarrass NASA so that NASA would stretch their vision of what they would do. He went to Russia with a friend of mine, Ade Resi, to find out how much it would cost to build rockets and the price of the Russian rockets were still so extraordinarily high he said why are these things so expensive and why can't make them cheaper and ultimately ended up making the commitment and spending the money he made from selling paypal to building spacex you know started in 2002 and it's got tens of billions of dollars valuation right now i'm i'm a reasonably early investor in it but wish i invested even earlier And his mission is to create this capability of getting to Mars. So Falcon 9 gets you to orbit, Falcon Heavy can get you to the moon and could get you to Mars. But what he has set out as an objective beyond the Falcon Heavy is his next vehicle, which he calls the BFR, and for (laughs) those of you who are not creative, the B stands for big, the R stands for rocket, and you can guess what the F stands for in the middle. But the BFR is using a different kind of engine, a different kind of fuel. Ultimately, the goal is going to be a methane and liquid oxygen fuel because you can create methane on the Martian surface. So you can send these rockets to Mars, land them, refuel them, and then bring them back. So his game plans are a couple. One, he began by serving the government and winning the contracts for servicing the space station for resupply and eventually for for astronauts, his next big event is going to be flying astronauts on the Dragon capsule, the Dragon 2 capsule, and that will happen sometime in the next uh, 18 months. But after that, his next vision is going to Mars, and he has publicly stated only about nine months ago that he wants to send private landers to Mars by 2022 that would take supplies, and 2024 time check that six years from now he wants to land the first humans on Mars Mm -hmm. and I think the success of Falcon Heavy was an important milestone towards that. The other thing he's doing to fund his vision and by the way he's kept SpaceX private and not doing it publicly so that he has control over what the company does like launching a red Tesla into space I don't think you'll ever see a public company shareholders agreeing to spend the money that way but he wants to be able to keep it private so that he's not having to disclose anything anyplace and he can make the decisions that he wants. Mm -hmm. But they're going to be launching a large-scale orbital constellation, and they announced a 4,425-satellite medium-Earth orbit constellation and then a 7,000-satellite low-Earth orbit constellation, and these constellations of some 11,000 satellites would provide global broadband connectivity Again, tapping into a multi-trillion dollar marketplace and that that makes them very, 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 very wealthy to fund missions to Mars. And and I've had these conversations with Elon. He's prepared to spend everything. Yes. It's like his MTP is like, I'm going to make sure the human race goes to Mars and we back up the biosphere. Nothing else matters, right? So it's pretty extraordinary. The guy's just brilliant and driven and is winning the game. He has completely revolutionized automotive and energy, and he's just shamed and decimated and disrupted the traditional aerospace industry. It's extraordinary.
1: Peter, staying with the strategy circle concept, you have vision, and you put numbers, measurements, and dates to the vision. Then you come back, and then obstacles come up and my thesis in the strategy circles that those things which seem to oppose our vision are actually the raw material for creating the vision. So can you actually talk about some of the transformational that have to happen for let's say the Mars mission because to a certain extent the experience of landing on the moon has already been established And some things apparently have been forgotten because NASA didn't do a great job of (laughs) documenting all the shortcut information and the tasks. You know, there's explicit knowledge that you can write in a book, but there's also tacit knowledge of how reality differs from the book, and apparently a lot of that was lost. They beat the Russians, and then they said, well, we won, gave so over. why should we? Yeah. But what are some of the very real challenges that will be transformed into major capabilities? Could you name yeah, sure. you know, just a couple of them that have to be, you know, this has to be solved before you can achieve the
0: vision? So the first and foremost thing that had to be solved is how do you get there cheaply? And the entire existing aerospace launch capacity had retrenched from the Saturn V, which could get us out of Earth's gravitational well, if you would reach Earth escape velocity, had retrenched to the Soyuz, to the Shuttle, to the Zenit, to all these small vehicles that couldn't get us past. And the traditional launch vehicle industry had been throwaway launch vehicles. You use it once and forget, and that makes launch really expensive. So Elon needed to build... Big enough launch vehicles that had enough throw capacity to take not only a couple of three astronauts or cosmonauts to Mars, but enough capacity to take all the equipment there. And then how do you do it in a way that is reusable and refuelable that can get the price down a factor of 10? So that was his goal. So he did that. He built launch capacity big enough. The Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy and now the BFR and he's trying to make a decision does he shut down Falcon 9 assembly line like build a bunch of Falcon 9 shut them down and focus all of his resources on the BFR which is what he said he's going to do he's making that trade evaluation now and then he needed to build the life support systems the capsule capabilities and he built that in Dragon and Dragon 2 He's just released his spacesuit. In fact, we saw the spacesuit on Starman sitting in the driver's seat with his elbow on the window with the sign, Don't Panic. I mean, that was just classic. I mean, there is nobody else doing anything at that scale of audacity and that level of playfulness than him. I think that's going to give Jeff Bezos a permission to be as playful and as audacious. And so having the two of them one-up each other will be amazingly fun. All right, so launch vehicles, bring the cost down, increasing the throw weight, the life support, the capsule capabilities, the spacesuit capabilities. And now the other part, if you're going to Mars, you have to make a decision, are you going to Mars on a one-way mission, which is what I always expected it would be. It would be colonization missions. You are sending astronauts there or, colonists there they land they have supplies also sent from the earth and they're living off the land but they're there for the rest of their life elon's again incredible audacity was no 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 i'm going to create a capability to go there and back on a five hundred thousand dollar ticket and so i want to create a facility large enough that would attract thousands hundreds of thousands millions of people to go and then you've got to deal with growing plants and feeding ourselves. You've got to deal with generating power, going from solar to nuclear, which is the logical way to go on Mars. So, those are some of the challenges yeah. he's got.
1: This podcast, you know, we could do an unending number of podcasts on this as the project develops. But one of them, from a physiological standpoint, what do we know about how human body actually performs in space? And what are some of the challenges that have to be
0: transformed there? So it's interesting, uh, many, many years ago when I was in medical school, I wrote a paper on the speciation of humanity. Interestingly, when you think about Darwinian evolution, species form under three conditions. When you've got geographic isolation, right? Think of the finches on the Galapagos Islands. They're geographically isolated, so they can't crossbreed with a population of finches on the mainland, small population sizes where, because you don't have a broad genomic base, you get wide deviation of the genetics and then high mutation rate pressures. And I think you're going to have the same thing in space as you have small colonies on Mars or on the moon or on asteroids and so forth. So you'll start to get interesting speciation where you'll start to see evolution and then more interestingly, because this did not exist when I wrote those papers 25 years ago, we're going to start to see going from evolution by natural selection, Darwinism, to evolution by human direction, where we're starting to use CRISPR and CRISPR 2.0 to evolve yourself. You might give yourself the muscles that don't undergo atrophy mm-hmm. in the lower gravity. So our bodies evolve or they adapt to the environment. So... When you're on Mars, your heart's not going to be as strong because you have to pump against one-third gravity versus one gravity. Your muscles have to be as strong because you're not climbing up a stair in one G. You might get taller. Also, interestingly, it's a whole bunch of stuff that we Mm -hmm. don't really know about long-term. turns out your immunological system, your immune cells, are gravity-dependent to some degree, so... I think we finally have the biological sciences to fix that.
1: Yeah. Also, the one very simple one is eyeballs change configuration under zero gravity conditions. And how our eyeball is configured is really the fact that there's a downward pressure of gravity. And then there's a significant incidence of loss of sight, at least temporarily, if you were 2020, 20, the astronauts can come back 8020 in their eyesight simply because the gravity has been taken away.
0: Yeah, and we have a cephalic fluid shift. The gravity is normally pulling the fluid down towards our legs, and it comes up. Your spine stretches, and so forth. But those are all fine. It's interesting, you know. I'll tell you a fun experiment I do when I'm lecturing to a university. If there's like a thousand students at MIT where I'll go back once in a while and talk, and I'll talk about going to Mars. I'll say, okay, how many of you would love a chance to go and travel to Mars as an explorer? And nominally, two-thirds of the audience hands will go up. And then I'll say, okay, what if it were on a one-way mission? And probably half the hands will stay up. And then I'll say, how about if you had a 50% chance of surviving? on one way mission and the majority of lands will still stay up and then okay Damn. a twenty five percent chance. You know, so it's interesting there is a population of really smart young individuals who crave that level of adventure and exploration for a new frontier that would go to Mars regardless if it were one way or round trip.
1: And it shortened their life. Yeah, I mean it's like the Olympic medal question that they ask people who have a chance to go to the Olympics and they said if there were a drug you could take that was undetectable that would almost guarantee you a medal at the Olympic games, but it would kill you five years after, how many of you would take the drug and 50% of them put up their hands. Wow, yeah. wow. interesting. So what it tells me is that humans really strive for significance.
0: Yes, yes, there is very much a desire to leave our mark. So we talked about this at A360 and a coach going from success to significance. You know, I think we should develop a tool around that success to significance because I think it's one of the most important things that individuals who are part of coach and part of A360 can do because anyone who's part of coach or anyone who's part of A360, and we have obviously a massive overlap, they're successful because they can afford the time, the price, and so forth, but are they being significant by whatever measures they want? Mm-hmm. Right. I have one
1: last question because I want to take you back to the vision, the commitment, the courage that actually got XPRIZE launched.
0: And I also want to talk about what this recent blog I wrote on Elon and the elements that drive him, but go on, please. But
1: I'm going back and just how you were thinking about things 1998, I think it is, right? 96, yeah. 96, and fast forward 22 years to today, what you thought about then, about what you were launching, almost as a lone individual with a dream, and just getting the news report of the Falcon rocket this week, the connection yeah. between Peter then, Peter now.
0: So Peter then was pissed, angry, and excited and hopeful all at once i was angry and pissed that our aerospace industry had devolved to such a point that we were not getting past low earth orbit and that no government was taking the risk and you know things had been started and stopped and started and stopped and didn't like it was ever going to happen and i was hopeful that private industry you know the whole vision on the Prize is individuals and small teams could do what only governments and large corporations could once do. And it was taking the first step with those suborbital flights. And it is panned out very much with what Musk and Bezos have done to be true. And ultimately, individuals take risks at this level. No longer do governments take the risk, right? The Apollo program was a very unique slice of time. And I don't think we're going to see that Again, the governments are too bureaucratic, too complicated, too risk-adverse these days to do anything of that scale. But private individuals can. They can have their MTPs. They can have their literal moonshots and go and make those things happen. So I'm thrilled, thrilled, absolutely thrilled. There's a large board on the wall here at XPRIZE that I walk by as I enter in every morning. I just stopped and looked at it yesterday. It's the list of the 100 individuals that contributed $25,000 each to help me fund the earliest days of the X Prize, And I looked at every name and every single name of those 100. I remember the meeting and the pitch and the, this is what we're going to do and this is why it's important and just how hard it was to convince those individuals to part with 25K and do that a 100 times. And honestly, those were the 10% that said yes. There was another 900 who said no. But I'm thankful to the 22-year-old younger version of me that didn't give up there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Dan, if I could, just for our listeners, I put out a blog every Sunday. My blog last week was on deconstructing Elon Musk or Elon's secret sauce, whatever the case might be. And if you're interested in the blogs, if you just go to diamandis.com, you can register and get the blogs every week. And I spend a lot of time, myself and my team, working on these. So There were three elements I picked up to talk about Elon. Let's chat about each one. The first two obvious ones is he's extraordinarily smart. I mean, the guy is a polymath and brilliant, so let's give him that. The second is he is, you know, he'll routinely work 100-hour weeks. He's very, 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 very driven. I will say that he's driven by this internal level of drive, and I will, having had conversations that he's not happy about that. He'll be ecstatic and happy and proud of what he's done, but it's a brutal life that he's living right now. The guy is working extraordinarily hard and risking everything over and over and over again. I'm not sure it's the way to live a quality life. You know, you may fantasize about the amazing, amazing life he has. The guy is driven by his own devils of what he's doing, and it's cost him. It is significantly cost him. So I'm not proposing people do that. But there are three elements. One is, it's very clear he's driven by deep-rooted passion, by a massively transformative purpose. In 2001, when I first met him, he had and always has had and maintained the, I'm going to move us into a renewable energy economy. And he did that with Tesla and SolarCity. And game over, he's won, right? Every major car company, every energy company, he can put a stake in it and say, done. And then making the humanity a multiplanetary species, he's midway through that. I'll read a quote when I had interviewed him for my book, Bold, and it says it all. He says, I didn't go into the rocket business and the car business and the solar energy business thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity. I just thought in order to make a difference, something needed to be done, and I wanted to create something substantially better than what came before. So, yeah, it's driven by passion and the desire mm-hmm. for significance. And he wants to walk on Mars. And he wants to walk on Mars, yes.
1: Yeah, you see, my feeling is that you go to the furthest reaches of someone's vision about themselves, and then you work backwards to actually explain why they did the beginning and the intermediary steps to actually get to the final vision. Everybody has some point in the future, and... I know that from the change, and we can talk about this because I'd like to talk about longevity next, but I just had 64 new entrepreneurs for their very first workshop on Monday, and the first thing they get is the lifetime extenders. So, you know, I said, write down the age at which you think you're going to die. We do, and we talk about that age, and I said, so how many more years would you give yourself in the furthest number? Somebody gave themselves 50 more years. And I said, I just want to let you know, you had this one number coming into the room. You now have a different number. And over the next couple of years, every thought in your brain is going to change because you changed your number. It's the statement of the furthest reach of your ambition and putting measurements on it that determines everything you're going to do. So that's my basic thought on that.
0: Yeah, that'd be a fun podcast for us to do next is another dive into longevity. The second thing I note for Elon is that he does have crystal clear, massively transformative purposes and moonshots, right? He'll talk about abundance. He'll talk about his mission, his purpose, his, I don't think he'll call it a moonshot. Maybe he'll call it a Mars shot. But, you know, his MTP for Tesla and Solar City was to accelerate the world's transition to a sustainable energy economy. And again, done. And his MTP on SpaceX is backing up the biosphere for making humanity, multi-planet species. There's a third one I want to mention here, and what's driven him, and we can talk about this, is his concept, and he's a physicist and an engineer, of first principle thinking. First principle thinking is something that people don't use enough. So when trying to understand, for example, the example we give here is the price of lithium-ion batteries... And would they ever come down below a particular price of $800 per kilowatt hour or whatever? So the price I referenced in the blog is $600 per kilowatt hour. And people are saying, well, to make Tesla work, you have to bring it down below that. And people aren't seeing it. And he said, well, let's look at first principle thinking here, which is what is the actual cost of the lithium in this can, what's the cost of the other chemicals in this can, what's the cost of the can itself and how long should it take to put together and when you look at that and you look at the fundamentals, right, and build from the bottom up, the number he achieved was $80 per kilowatt hour. So there's almost a eightfold reduction potential. So people don't actually look at that in their business and say, okay, what could it actually be? And then we look at exponential technologies, bringing the price down and dematerializing and demonetizing things. So that's a big part of his first principle thinking as a physicist and engineer.
1: Well, I think the other thing about what you just said there is that your experimentation and your breakthroughs are also joined by the breakthroughs that are happening by hundreds and thousands of other individuals.
0: That didn't have an organizing principle until you provided it for them. That is brilliant, right? We underestimate how far things will go, and we totally ignore all the adjacencies, all the breakthroughs that other people are making that we're not even thinking about, right? That we don't even have a means to know about Mm -hmm. that we will intercept over the course of the next decade ahead. Mm -hmm. And that's where the magic is, right? My next book, Dan, Abundance was first, Bold was second. The third one is called Convergence. And it's all about the convergence of technologies that we're going to be intercepting.
1: Yeah. There was a book I gave out to all my 10 Times participants called How We Got to Now. And it was about glass that when Gutenberg invented the printing press, He discovered that all Europeans couldn't read because their eyes weren't geared to reading. And so the whole glass spectacle industry exploded across Europe because all of a sudden now people needed glasses so that they
0: could read. One technology triggered another technology. Amazing, amazing. So listen, I love talking about space and Elon is such an extraordinary figure in human history And just studying what he's done is always great to inspire people. I think one of the things that should inspire all of us is our ability to live longer. Mm -hmm. And if you're open for it, maybe in our next podcast, we can do a a deep dive into longevity, what we learned at A360. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know if your numbers changed in your life expectancy. So shall we do that?
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that, Peter. We'll talk about that. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, that'll be great. (laughs) You know, I'm on the line for a number, and, you know, my ego is tied up with it and everything. So (laughs) this might be a painful half hour as we discuss this.
0: Uh, All right. All right, pal. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Peter. See you, buddy.